What an incredible song to uh, finish uh, worshiping uh, through music this morning. Uh, Holy Spirit, breathe on me. I'm going to be talking a little bit about the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm always amazed at how um, God puts things together. Um, because the music and, and the messages flow, and can't count how many times that uh, it's happened again last week where I preached a message, and then Brother John brought me his notes from Sunday school, and it was like lined up with it, and we had no more communicated about what was going on, and God just seems to put things together, and I'm, I'm very thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit in my personal life, but also in the life of the church, and we're going to talk a little bit about that this morning, but um, well, um, I said this earlier, welcome to 2019. Um, I, I hope that uh, you had a great new year, uh, and now that we're kind of getting into this year, how many of you have already had to write some checks and made the mistake and wrote 2018 in the memo line? Does that happen to anybody? <laughs> happened to me this morning. Um, I already did that once this year, so it's kind of hard when you're in that new year, new mold, things are taking place and things uh, starting over, it's kind of getting into that, but I, I'm really excited about this new year. I, I'm, I talked a little bit about that uh, this last week. I, I'm ready to uh, leave behind the struggles of 2018. I, I'm ready uh, for a fresh start. I, I'm ready for um, to see what God is going to do in my personal life and in the life of my family and in the life of my church family. And and I'm really excited to, to move into this series this morning. The series that we're starting is called Renewed, Having a Fresh Start or a Fresh Movement uh, with God in Our Lives. Now, in this series, what we're doing is we're going to be examining uh, the story of Josiah from the Old Testament when he led the people of Judah into a, a fresh state or a renewed, revived state uh, with the Lord. And in this story, there, there are several beautiful, important, and key principles uh, that have to happen in order for anyone to have a really a fresh start with God or a fresh movement uh, with God in, in their life. And, and we talked last week um, as uh, there were some prerequisites. There, there were some things that had to happen first. And, and those things that have to happen first include, uh, number one, you have to have the, condi the conditions have to be right for a movement of God in your life or for a fresh start. Um, if you um, do not believe and do not think that you need a fresh start then, uh, or a fresh movement of God in your life, then you're not going to do anything to have a fresh movement of God in your life. So not only do the conditions have to be there, uh, but you have to be willing to acknowledge that. You have to be willing to acknowledge and say, you know what, I I'm not where I need to be. Uh, thank God I don't have to stay here. But I know I'm not where I need to be, and, and I need to, to move forward. So that's the first thing. And the second thing that has to happen is we have to rediscover the Word of God. Um, and, and we're going to talk this morning a little bit more about that. But the Word of God is going to be, um, is going to be key to finding or having a fresh move of, movement of God in your life. What I'm saying to you this morning before we get started is if you don't have the Word of God in your life, you're not going to get a fresh start with God in your life. You're not gonna, if you don't have the Word of God in your life, you're not going to get a fresh movement of God in your life because they are inseparable. God and His Word are inseparable. You can't get one without the other. They are together. 
Okay, and so if you want a fresh movement with God in your life, then you're going to have to rediscover the Word of God. And we looked at that from the story of Josiah. That's the first thing that happens in 2 Kings chapter 22. He, he, Josiah was a godly uh, king. He was raised by Hilkiah the high priest. He, he inherited the kingdom when he was really young because his dad, who was a bad king, an idolatrous king, um, died when he was young. And so he was raised by Hilkiah and Hilkiah raised him with godly principles and things. And we talked a little bit about that last week. Uh, but when he took over, he, he knew that some things needed to change. And so the first one thing he knew needed to change was there was this incredible temple that had fallen into disarray because of all the stuff that had happened to them as a people. And so he decided to collect some money to rebuild or, or to redo this temple and make it nice again. Well, in the process of restructuring or putting together or redoing this temple, they found a copy of the law. They found the first five books of the Bible, what's called the Pentateuch, and they found that, and they read it to Josiah, and it was through that reading of God's Word that, that we get this incredible story of, of these things that happen that lead Josiah and his people into a fresh movement of God in their lives. And so that's what we talked about last week. And today we're going to start by looking more at this story because after they acknowledged that their condition was, they needed a renewal, after they acknowledged that, they also rediscovered the word. And then when those two things happened, there was a process that began to take place that led them into a, a, a fresh movement of God in their lives. So if you have your Bibles open in 2 Kings chapter 22, I'm going to ask if you would stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning in 2 Kings chapter 22. We're actually going to start in verse 8, and we're going to read down through verse 11 this morning. In verse 8, it says, Then Hilkiah the high priest said to Shaphan the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Shaphan, and he read it. So Shaphan the scribe went to the king, uh, went, sorry, the scribe went to the king, bringing the king word, saying, Your servants have gathered the money that was found in the house and have delivered it into the hands of those who do the work, who oversee the house of the Lord. Then Shaphan the scribe showed, showed the king, saying, Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. And Shaphan read it before the Lord. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law that he tore his clothes. Let's pray. God, today I pray that you'd bless the reading of your word. And now as we begin to examine it this morning, I pray that I would decrease and your spirit living in me would increase. And if the words would be shared today would be your words and not mine. And, Father, they would impact our hearts and our lives for your glory and for your honor. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So when Josiah had a, an encounter with the Word of God, it, it led him to the first step that has to be taken or the first principle that has to exist in anyone's life that wants to have a fresh movement of God in their life. Now, what was that first step that happened? That first step that happened that, brought, that led him and his nation into a renewed and into a re revived movement of God in their life was conviction. That's the first thing that happened. They read the word, and then there was conviction. Now, how do I know that? Look at verse 11. So the word, the, the, the word of the Lord, the law, the book of the law had been brought to him. And then look at verse 11. He read it, the scribe read it to him, and listen to what happened. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. That's conviction. 
To tear someone's clothes is an outward expression of severe mourning, and it dates all the way back to Genesis chapter 37. The first you'll see it in the Word of God is in Genesis 37, when the, the sons of, uh, of Jacob returned, bringing the coat of Joseph dipped in blood and told him that his son had been killed. And that was the response of Joseph when he heard that his son had been killed, which we know the story, he wasn't killed, but that's what they told him. When he heard that, he tore his robes in, as a sign or as an expression of severe mourning. And that's what Josiah did when he heard the word of the book of the law. For Josiah, tearing his clothes was an act of true contrition of the heart. It came from truly being convicted of sin. Josiah did what I believe everyone who is in need of a fresh movement of God does when they rediscover the Word of God and they get in the Word of God. He fell under conviction for his sin. He wept over the condition of his soul and over the souls of his people because they had sinned greatly before God. He understood when he heard it, he said, there's all these promises and there's this God who loves us and there's this God who's done so much for us and he's warned us and yet we've spurned him time and time again and it convicted him of his personal life and it convicted him of the nation's sin as a people. That's the first step for anyone to having a fresh movement of God in your life is you have to fall under conviction sin. So this morning, we need to understand that you cannot have a fresh movement of God without conviction. And so for the remaining time we have this morning, I want us to talk about conviction. I want us to look at it from a biblical perspective and understand what it means. Because for many of us, we misunderstand the idea of conviction with condemnation. And those two terms are not the same. Conviction is a godly principle that's found in his word that is desperately needed in every life of a person and every Christian life of anyone who's a believer. And we're going to talk about how I know all that as we get through this. So this morning, let's look at conviction and what it is. The first thing I want us to understand is the definition of conviction of sin. What, what does conviction mean from a biblical standpoint? Well, to help us understand that and really understand what conviction is, we can kind of start by, by showing you what it's not. Th this is what conviction is not. It is not simply a guilty conscience or being ashamed of your sin. It's not simply just feeling guilty about it. Such feelings are, are naturally experienced by almost everyone. Um, and, and so it's not that. It's not a sense of nervousness or fear uh, of divine punishment. It's not just being scared that you're going to be punished because of your sin. Those feelings, too, are commonly experienced uh, in the minds of people worldwide who've never even heard of God or heard of the Bible. It's not merely knowledge of right and wrong. Um, it, it's not just knowing Scripture's take on what sin is and what sin does. You know, there are many people that read the Bible and are fully aware that the Bible says the wages of sin is death, according to Romans 
There's people that read the Bible, and they may know, according to Ephesians 5, that it says no immoral or impure or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. They may even agree, according to Psalms 917, that the wicked shall be turned into hell and the nations that forget God. They may agree to all of that. They may have a knowledge of all of that. Yet for all of their knowledge, they continue to live in a sinful state. See, they understand the consequences, but they're far more but they're far from being convicted of their sin. You see, it's not just having a head knowledge. I heard a guy say it like this one time. Conviction is not being sorry for getting caught. It's understanding what you did was wrong, and you agree with God's judgment of that being wrong, and you come in line with God's, what God says about that being wrong. See, there's a lot of people out there that have a, a knowledge. Something's brought to their attention. They may even admit it. Yeah, I was wrong. I did that. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. That's not conviction. That has nothing to do really with conviction. So what is true conviction? What is real conviction that the Bible speaks of? Well, the word convict that we, that we get from the Word of God is a translation of a word that's a legal term that literally means to convince someone of the truth, to reprove, to accuse, to refute, or to cross-examine a witness. Again, it's a legal term that literally means to cross-examine for the purpose of convincing or refuting someone. It's, it's the purpose of convincing someone of the truth. Now, listen to the way there's a theologian, his name is B.F. Westcott, and, and I got this from his book, The Gospel According to St. John. And listen to how he sums up biblical conviction. I think it's beautiful in what he says. He says, conviction involves the conceptions of authoritative examination, of unquestionable proof, of decisive judgment, and of punitive power. Whatever the final issue may be, he who convicts another places the truth of the case in a clear light so that it must be seen and acknowledged as truth. He who then rejects the conclusion which this expression in exposition involves rejects it with his eyes opened at his own peril. Truth seen as truth carries with it condemnation to all those who refuse to welcome it. So true conviction is brought when someone, and we're going to talk about who that is in a minute, brings to your, uh, to your understanding and to your knowledge the clear understanding of what you've done as sin. It brings clearly, it brings clear understanding to sin in your life. And, and here's the thing. You can't dispute it. it it's, it's to be convicted it is to have something put so in front of you and it's shown to be so true that you can't refute it. Now, you may not accept it, but you can't refute it. And that's what conviction really is. So, so who's the author of conviction? It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the cross-examiner. The Holy Spirit is the one that, that casts a clear light and brings to the forefront the truth of sin in your life and what it looks like and the fact that you can't refute it, you can't deny it, you can't argue with it. Now, you cannot accept it. There's a lot of people that do that. 
They don't believe they're sinners for nothing, no matter how much you show them in the Word of God. Yet the Word of God exposes sin for what it is, and the Holy Spirit puts that in proper light so you come into an understanding. Now, whether or not you accept that or not, it's between you and God, but that's the, one of the works of the Holy Spirit. His job is to bring conviction. Now, how do I know that? Listen to John chapter 16. This is the promise of Jesus in his farewell discourse to his disciples in John chapter 16. This is what he tells them. He says, and when he has, or, or sorry, let, let me start back earlier. In verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now listen to what he's saying. And when he has come, he's talking about the Helper, the Holy Spirit. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. And of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So in the promise of the sending of the Holy Spirit, Jesus very clearly tells us one of the jobs of the Holy Spirit is to bring conviction to the world. That is a necessity for anyone to be saved. So the Holy Spirit is essential to our salvation. If we didn't have conviction of sin, we would never turn to God because we wouldn't know we needed to. See, the picture the Bible preaches and teaches, and I've, ex I've shown you this before, is that when we're born, the Bible tells us we're born in, in a state of sinfulness. We are born sinful. Our sin nature is an inherited trait from our parents who inherited it from their parents who inherited it from their parents, and you can track it all the way back to Adam. That's what the Word of God says, that through sin, through one man, sin entered into the world through Adam. So sin comes into the world. We're all naturally bent towards sin. That's why you don't have to teach kids to lie, steal, cheat, disobey their parents. They naturally are going to do that. Why? Because they're born in a state of sinfulness. We are walking away from God when we're born because we're sinful. And unless something gets our attention, we would never even know we're walking away from something. You see, the Bible says in the book of Romans that there is no righteous, no, not one. There is none that seeks after God. That means that on our own, without something, we would never turn and seek that which we didn't know we needed. And then Jesus comes in John 16 and says, It's to your advantage that I go, because when I go, I will send the Helper. And the Helper will come, and he'll do these things, but this is another thing he's going to do. He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And it's that conviction that leads us to stop and realize there's a God. He's got a righteous standard. I don't add up to that standard. And then I have to make a choice. Do I turn to him in faith and trust him, or do I keep walking away from him? That's the choice that we have. But that's what the Holy Spirit does. He, he brings conviction. So it's essential to everyone in this room that calls themselves a child of God. If you weren't convicted of sin, you don't have salvation because you wouldn't have ever known to turn to God and knew that you needed it. But not only do we need conviction as a, to become a believer, we need conviction in our life to keep us in a proper relationship with our Father in heaven. We need conviction to show us where we err in our ways so we can turn back to him into a fresh, revived state with him. See, our sin that we have as believers 
it's forgiven. It's not going to keep you out of heaven if you're a child of God. But it hinders your relationship. And I want you to know, church, for me personally and for you in this room, I can tell you this. The biggest reason why we all need a fresh movement of God is because of sin. We all have a sin problem. It's a sin problem that we can never overcome this side of heaven. Paul talks about it exclusively in the book of Romans. He tells us over and over again that though I know what I ought to do, though I ought to do, and I agree that I ought to do this, I still find myself doing that which I know I shouldn't do. That's what, that's what Paul says. He, he tells us that if we obey the Spirit, we won't, we won't fulfill the lusts of the flesh, yet the flesh is there and we ignore the Spirit. Why? Because we're in a constant battle every day. And when sin gets into our lives and we don't confess it, then we, our relationship with God is hindered and we need a fresh movement. But how do we know we need to confess our sin? What is it that shows us that we need to confess our sin? It's the Holy Spirit. He's the author of conviction. He's the one that reminds you and shows you what you're doing is wrong. How many times as a Christian have you started to do something and th there's this little voice, I mean, I don't know how to say it other than there's a little voice that says, don't do that. That's wrong. It's sinful. You ever had that? Or right after you do something and you're like, that's sinful. That's wrong. You need to confess that. You need to make that right. That's the Holy Spirit. You see, there's a great book out there, and, and you can read it on your own. It's by Francis Chan. It's called The Forgotten God, and it's a book about the Holy Spirit. And in Baptist churches, we have de-emphasized the Holy Spirit because we're afraid of being labeled as charismatic. And when we've done that, we've forgotten the important ministry of the Holy Spirit in our salvation, but in our daily, everyday walk with Christ. And so we have to have conviction, and the author of that conviction is the Holy Spirit. Now, what does the Holy Spirit use? What's the tool of conviction? That's the second thing I want us to show you. Conviction is a work of the Holy Spirit whereby He casts a, a clear light on the truth of our sin in our lives, revealing to us the truth of our sin so that we can either accept that truth, agree with God, and repent, or we can reject that truth and walk away from it at our own peril, which is what the Word of God, that's what conviction means. What is the tool that he uses? The Holy Spirit's the source or the author. Well, the tool is the Word of God. That's what he uses. How do I know that? We'll go back to verse 11. In, in 2 Kings 22, verse 11, he says, And then when it happened, when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his robes. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God to convict, our, convict us of our sin. He uses the Word. The Bible is the tool that He uses. Now, why does He use the Word of God? Why does the Holy Spirit use the Word of God to convict us? Because the Word of God is the Word of God. That, that's what 2 Timothy 
3.16 tells us that all Scripture is inspired by God. That word inspired literally means God breathed. In John chapter 1, we're told, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then you jump down in John chapter 1, down around verse 10 or 11, we're told, And that Word became flesh, which is Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 4, we're told that the Word of God is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, and it cuts straight to the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. The reason why he uses this is because this is God's word. That's why, listen, I, I've got pastor friends, and we, we've talked about this, we've argued about this before. I'm telling you right now, you as a pastor or a church cannot blaze out and, and, and head out and into the darkness of the world without this. This is the sword. This is your weapon. We've got churches all over the place that are trying to get, do away with this and make church more seeker-sensitive because if we don't make it seeker-sensitive, then people won't come. I'd rather have a church of 10 people that are saved than a church of 1,000 people that are lost. And this is what does that. This is what God uses how do I know that sin is sin? Here. How do I know? Here's an example of this. Children, you'll like this. How do I know that being disobedient to your parents is a sin? It's not because your parents say so. Matter of fact, I'll go this far. If God didn't say it was sin, it wouldn't be sin. The reason why I know being disobedient to your parents is sinful is because God says, don't be disobedient to your parents. That's how I know. How do I know that lust is sinful? Because the Word of God says it's sinful. If the Word of God didn't say it was sinful, it wouldn't be sinful. So you and I, we don't get the authority to write out what's sinful and what's not, although we try to. We live in a moral relative world where what's right for you may not be right for me, and what's wrong for you may not be wrong for me. You do you, and I'll do me, and we'll both be happy. That's our culture, but that's not reality of God's Word. The reason why the Holy Spirit uses the Word of God is because it is the Word of God, and it's the Word of God that can cut right to the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. It's alive, it's powerful, and God uses it to convict us of our sin. I don't know about you, but the older I get, and the more I get into this word, and the longer I've walked with Christ, it's like the more lost I was. You know what I mean? The, the more I study this word, the more I realize I don't, I don't quite add up. And I do realize that there's some things in my life that aren't where they need to be. Well, what do I need to do when that's the case? Well, according to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, we're to confess our sin. If, we're, if we confess our sin, this is 1 John 1, 9, that's why I've said it for a thousand years, and I haven't been alive a thousand years, but I feel like I've said this for a thousand years worth of preaching, is 1 John 1, 9 ought to be a scripture that every Christian memorizes because it's written to believers, and it very simply says, if we confess our sin, then God is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's written to believers. So what do I do when I get in the Word, and then it shows me where I don't add up, I confess it. I make it right. And we're going to talk about confession next week, so I don't want to get too much ahead of myself. So the, but the first step that has to happen is conviction. 
Conviction is wrought by the Holy Spirit. It's brought through the Word of God, and the Word of God brings us to the last thing, and that is the purpose of conviction. And that's the last thing I'm going to talk about this morning. What is the purpose of conviction? It's very simple. To return or to bring you back. This is where we get conviction and condemnation. This is where we get them confused. And this is where oftentimes we get it wrong. And it's also where we get the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of Satan confused. Conviction was always to get your attention, to show you were walking the wrong way so that you would, in your own, in your own mind, in your own heart, turn back to God. So conviction has always been for the purpose of returning you to Him. Not to condemn you. Not to make you feel worthless. That's what Satan does. Satan is the one that will say things to you like this. You're so terrible. You know, if you were a Christian, you wouldn't have done something like that. I can't believe you call yourself a child of God and you let yourself get wrapped up in that. That's not God. The Holy Spirit brings it to your attention, but he always does it with a loving embrace for return. Let me, let me put it in, in, in worldly ways that we might understand better, especially as parents. When your children do wrong, don't you want to give them an opportunity to understand their wrong, but also knowing that they're going to be embraced when they come back to you? Right? Isn't that what we want to do as parents? I know that's what I want for my kids. I want them to understand they're wrong. I want them to know what they did was wrong. I want them to admit that what they did was wrong. I want them to agree with what I say about them being wrong. But I always want them to know that my arms are open for them to return. Now, I'm not going to just accept them in their sinful state. What I mean by that, if they continue to do that, I'm not just going to just, just get to this point where it's like, oh, it's okay, you don't have to worry about that. That's not what God does either. But I always have my arms open, and I'm always ready to receive them back when they repent, if you will. That's what God does. The purpose of repentance or of conviction is to get our attention and it, it, it comes with an embrace. It, it comes with an invitation to a loving embrace that he gives us when we come back. But see, this, Satan, that's not what he does. Here, here's another way we get it wrong. You ever had a, Something in your life that God revealed to you through his word was sinful. And so you did exactly what 1 John 1, 9 says. You confessed it, which confession, I don't want to jump too far ahead, is not to just admit to doing something. It's to agree that what you did was wrong. So you've confessed it the way the Bible says to, yet it continually gets brought back up every day. You know, 20 years ago you did this. 20 years ago you did that. And you can't seem to let it go because it's constantly there. Though, though you've confessed it, it just keeps kind of creeping back up. That's Satan. How do I know? Because the word for cleanse us in 1 John 1, 9 means to completely do away with. 
It's the same principle from Jeremiah that tells us that God will remember our sins no more. So if you've confessed it and he's forgiven you, why would he bring that back up? And, and, and ask yourself this. When it does get brought back up, is it for the purpose of getting you into a right relationship with God or is it to make you feel miserable, feel worthless? See, there's a difference. And conviction is understanding what you've done and, and realizing it's been cast in a clear light so you can repent of it. And then once you've repented of it and confessed it, it's been cleansed. God doesn't bring that back up because he remembers it no more. But Satan will bring it right back up continually over and over. The question is, did you really confess it? Did you really repent of it? And if you can answer yes, then it's not the Holy Spirit. And then ask yourself this. Is this for the purpose of bringing me closer to God? Or is it to make me drive me further away from Him? Is it, is it casting God in a loving, holy, righteous God that loved me so much He sent His Son to die for me? Or is it casting God in a hateful, mean, spiteful light? Ask yourself those questions. That will reveal to you the difference between conviction of the Holy Spirit and condemnation that comes from Satan. But true conviction was for the purpose of return. Always for the purpose, because if we weren't convicted, we would never even realize we needed to come back. We would never even realize we got away and we need to come back. And so the first step to a fresh movement of God, after you admit and acknowledge that the conditions in your life are right, and then you rediscover the Word of God, the first thing that's going to happen is Holy Spirit-empowered conviction that's going to put in a proper light in front of you the truth of your sin so that you'll see it, you'll understand it, you'll agree with it, you'll confess it and turn back to the Lord. When that happens, then you can go to the next step, which we'll talk about next week.